Big thanks to Arno at ALM, almk9equipment.com. That's the letter K, the number nine. Hit Arno up at A-R-N-O at almsuit.com. First-time visitors to a site, use discount code WDRADIO to receive 10% off your new tug or suit. I want to give a huge thanks to Ryan and the guys over at Tripwire Ops. Go check out their class schedule and every amazing thing it is they have to offer on the World Wide Web at tripwireops.org. That's tripwireops.org. Yeah, I'm a crazy motherfucker walking up your street. Craziest fucker that you ever see. Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, we're back with another episode of Working Dog Radio. I'm Ted Summers. With me, as always, is Eric Stambro. Eric, what have you been doing besides running around in a haunted house all week? Yeah, that was fun. Uh, finished up a class today. Um, I have an empty kennel at the moment, uh, which is not good. So um, <laughs> yeah, I got some that. dogs I'm going to be taking a look at, and I got um, some a guy that I know that I've gotten some decent floppy-eared dogs from hit me up. He's got three 10-month-old Springers I'm going to look at next week. I haven't had you know, a high percentage of success with the Springers. The ones that I have gotten that were good were amazing. And then the ones that haven't been very good were terrible. So yeah, it we'll just see. seems like there's nowhere in between with those guys, but yeah, we're just, uh, freezing as usual and, uh, tra- training and doing our thing, man. Yeah. I've got Ray up here from Cura canine out in, uh, San Diego and they're in Denver. Also our Boulder area. He's here for an explosives trainers course, but, uh, he and his dog voodoo have been rocking it. We've been finding bombs and biting people all week. So it's been, uh, <laughs> it's been pretty fun. We had a department show up today to look at two dogs. Uh, I don't know if people follow me on Facebook, they can see that shithead that we have here named Smokey. That dog's an asshole. And mm-hmm. they, uh, he's a special kind. He's one of those dogs that genuinely wants to bite people. <laughs> I can tell. I yeah, can see that. He's an asshole. Um, so with us tonight on Working Dog Radio, we've got uh, retired Chief Petty Officer Benito Olson. Benito, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. So... Um, you were a master at arms in the Navy and work camp. You didn't start out that way, correct? Uh, sorry, say that again? Uh, so you were a master at arms in the Navy. That's where you started out, but you didn't start out as canine, correct? You started out just master at arms and then went in. So talk a little bit about how you got how what led us up to this conversation in terms of getting into the Navy, going into master at arms, and then how you decided to become a canine handler and the whole story about cleaning the kennels and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. So I, I guess with every, almost all the post nine eleven guys that came in like right after nine eleven, um, for me I was just, I mean, it sounds cliche, but I was driven towards, towards that. I mean, just you know, stepping up and doing something more than you know what you know what I was doing at the time. I mean, I was going to, going to college, to, you know, junior college, and it was just not something that I. I don't know. It, it, it felt like I, I should not be there at the time. Mm. Um, you know, and I, I was kind of on my own, my, you know, my parents or my mom, you know, moved down to uh, Alabama and I was up in Minnesota and, uh, my dad went to prison when, 
when we were uh, in in high school. So I, uh, you know, kind of out there, you know, trying to make it, you know, and it just, you know, just felt like the right thing to do. I wanted to be part of something bigger. So I joined. I wanted to be a police officer, I and mean, that's what I was going to school for. So uh, the Navy has the Master at Arms, which is basically the military police. Um, it's, you know, a long-standing tradition. That's why they call them Master, master at Arms. And um, I honestly didn't grow up with a lot of dogs. I didn't – I wasn't, like, a, a big dog lover. Um, yeah, but, you know, I joined, and uh, I started off, you know, just regular straight stick, um, you know, doing that. I, I first saw the dogs when I was in school after boot camp. Um, I, they came in and inspected our barracks for, for drugs and, uh, I was pretty intrigued by that. Um, I went over to Bahrain for my first tour and they were out there sweeping the buses. And for me, I was like, wow, you know, these dogs are out there sweeping these buses for these kids and, um, making sure they're safe going to school. And, um, cause they have a the little dependent, uh, school right out there. And so I just, I, I wanted to be a part of that. I like the interaction with the dogs. Um, I didn't do it necessarily because it was like, it was like, oh my God, you know, I, I have a, I have a dog. Like it's, you know, I did it because I was like, you know, I have this, I saw a connection between the handlers and the dogs and, and it's not something you get with another human. And I just, you know, I just was fascinated by that. And so, um, I started volunteering in the, in the kennel over there. Oh, that's cool. I'm sure they loved having volunteers. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. So um, I would work, you know, on the gate, uh, 12-hour shifts, and, uh, and, you know, it's hot. It's like 110 degrees out. Um, and the only time at that – only way at that time to get in into canine or to get to go to, you know, dog school down at Lackland was to volunteer and get a recommendation. And so after my shifts or before my shifts, I would go over to the kennel and like <laughs> clean everything, clean, mm. you know, you know, clean all mm. the, you know, the painted kennels. And, uh, and when I say painted, I mean, you know, painted with dog crap, you know, cause none of those dogs <laughs> were clean. Um, volunteering to get in the bite suit and, um, well, not really volunteering. I was kind of told to be a, a bite dummy. Um, you know, so you did all those little things to kind of get, to get selected to, to, to go. And I was fortunate enough. There was two other people that were, you know, fighting for spots and they eventually got to go as well. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I just busted my ass and tried to do the best I could and, um, show that I really wanted it. So they selected you and they sent you to, uh, San Antonio, right? Yeah. They sent me to San Antonio and I, uh, when I first got there, you know, they were Navy handlers. You, you had to be, um, a little bit senior. I think it was like an E five at the time. Um, they had just started sending like younger, um, junior folks to the school. Um, you know, other, other branches, you know, were, you know, allowing their junior folks to go. And so, um, when I showed up, I, I kind of got a hard time, you know, cause, it was new and, uh, and it wasn't a big deal. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you, you have to live up to these, you know, new expectations and you feel like, you know, you have to do things a little bit better than everybody else. 
Yeah, yeah, I get that. Now, up to this so, point, you had you said you weren't, you know, didn't grow up with dogs. Prior to getting there at the kennel, had you ever heard of a Malinois or a Dutch Shepherd or anything like that? Honestly, I no, no, I, <laughs> I no, I, you know, I was, I was kind of, what do you want to call it, naive or, or not dumb, but just uneducated on the different breeds. Um, you know, like most people call it a Malinois German Shepherd. Like, look at my my dark faced German shepherd, you know? And yeah. so, um, I didn't know what a Malinois or Dutch shepherd was. And, and so, uh, we didn't, uh, yeah, we had Dutch shepherds at the time. And so, you know, Dutch shepherds, you know, my first ob- observation of of them, you know, was what, like missing a screw somewhere in there. Cause you know, <laughs> either they're all bad shit, either they're all bad shit crazy, or they're just not very good. And, um, so, it was either one or the other. It was never like in the middle. They were one or the other. So no, I, I didn't know. I, I had no idea what a Malinois was, but I mean, I found out, I found out quick, like, you know, that they could hit hard and bite hard. And, you know, we had some shepherds that could too, but like, you know, all the Malinois that, you know, they could stick it to you. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you get uh, any live bites in that, that time there? No. So really in Bahrain, I mean, it, it was all, you know, force protection and um, just, I mean, we had dual purpose dogs, you know, that would do both, you know, patrol and explosives. And of course, you know, patrol is always the fun part. Um, yeah, of course. But again you know there you're you're mostly going you know you're looking for explosives and you're searching barges and you know cement trucks that are coming onto the base and i only had one you know one actual uh in you know dog indicated on a cement truck and i mean we never found anything so i guess they could have said you know it was a false response but i mean <clears throat> everything about what that dog was doing you know kind of i mean it matched you know how he would act on odor you know and so it you know while he didn't find anything you know again i you know super proud of the the dogs you know that we had and um but yeah a lot of it in bahrain you know is just focusing on force protection and, and and just being there when drunk sailors would get off the boat drunk marines would you know be at the at the desert dome you know hanging out and um you know that's pretty much it so well, that's cool so handling, you know, I mean, that's a very – and that's something that I try and tell handlers for law enforcement when they come through. <clears throat> and I think a lot of those guys, and Eric will kind of say the same thing. I mean, being a handler is a completely different skill set from being a soldier or being a police officer. You have a completely different set of skills. And handling is in its own is its own like you know set of skills set of experiences like you said just a minute ago the way the dog acts when he's in odor and everything else so you know kind of moving forward how long did you handle over in bahrain so i um and you handled a big ass black german shepherd right yeah his name was bren i I think i posted a picture a couple weeks ago he was but yeah so i only handled for um i was there like two and a half years and so i had three dogs i think during the time three or four dogs they swapped me on it was a three dogs it was like three dogs yeah they swapped me on while i was there um the first one was bren which you know a lot of there was like a lot of you know um 
hey, do we put a new handler on a new dog or do we put a new handler on an experienced dog, in which he was an experienced dog. And I was forever grateful that they did that because that dog taught me so much, um, especially about, you know, pulling my head out of my ass at, at certain mm-hmm. times. Um, you know, because being a new handler, like, you, you don't pick on, up on these subtle cues that the dog gives you. And so um, I just, I think for me, it, like, set me up for success. And then my second dog, uh, Leo, that I had there, um, he was a, a brand-new green dog. And uh, they trusted me with this dog and to, you know, to kind of bring him up as, you know, because he was young and not perfect by any means. Um and so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a great learning experience. So two or three dogs there. And, and I, I mean, I was pretty fortunate. About that time, real quick, about that time, then how many years were they getting out of a dog typically on average? So the, the name, the fleet, um, I'll refer to it. The dogs come out of Lackland, like these, they would push them. I mean, until, I mean, I've seen dogs that were like 10 years old and I'm like, you know, <laughs> at what point do they retire, you know? And, and, uh, so, I mean, I, I didn't necessarily agree with that, you know, cause I, I think at a certain age, you know, I, I mean, that's the human side of me. It's like, Hey, why not let this dog retire? Um, some dogs were not adoptable. And so working was the only thing, you know, for them. Um, but yeah, they were going, you know, I've seen them way up until 10 years. Wow. I don't know if that's the case now. I think, I don't know if maybe times have changed or, or whatnot, but I also know what also affects that too is, you know, how many dogs are able to, uh, have come out of Lackland. I mean, you know, it's, you're feeding all four branches. Um, you know, there's definitely, you know, there's definitely a shortage. I think, you know, there's definitely a shortage of dogs out there. Um, for the work, I mean, because you have everybody competing, you know, to buy, and so that's yeah. that's sort of something. I mean, we have like five or six episodes that haven't aired yet, but the ones that have, with a lot of the guys we've interviewed, that seems to be an underlying theme. And you know, even Ritland the other day posted on Facebook. He was like, "What do I have to do to find a working Duck Shepherd puppy prospect?" He was like, "You'd think I need a fucking black rhino right now." And and yeah. you're right. I mean, you know, and Eric and I talk about it all the time. It's like, like finding good dogs is not as easy as it sounds. No, it's not. And you know, you could find a, you could definitely find a lot of you know, and it's not their fault, but you know, t- you know bad dogs. And everything would be okay, but, you know, at the end of the day, you're trying to, I mean, these dogs are going out there and saving lives, and so, um, you know, you really want to try to get the best, and it's like you said, there's there's just, they're not, you know, there's not out there, and at what point does, you know, do do things get watered down in the the breeding? Again, I'm not a breeder or anything like that, but, you know, to keep on pushing out dogs after dogs, you know, I'm I'm sure at some point it's got to, you know, have an effect somewhere. Well, yeah, I mean, in here in a second, we'll talk about like moving forward, like what happened to you and where you went after um, the the master at arms part. But you know, subtle and Ritland both kind of pointed out that you know we take these super nice dogs from Holland or from wherever they come from over there, and you know these are the best dogs that these countries or these programs have, and then we send them to units like the one you were in or other ones, and then they're never to be heard from again in terms of breeding, and 
like that's it. <laughs> so, no, it's yeah. a shame. It, I mean, yeah. it's a sh- it's a shame. I, I wish they would work out something where you know at least th- these dogs that you know have these breeding lines and uh, you know proven. I can tell you for a fact, like uh, my dog Digo, he had an offspring come to the command I was at. And that dog was fucking crazy, but um, crazier than Digo. I didn't want nothing to do with that dog. And, uh, and so, uh, but he was a great dog. He was a great dog, you know, like, and, you know, Digo apparently was bred over there a couple of times before we got a hold of him. And, um, you know, so it's like, you know, you just wish that, you know, there, there was something you could do about it. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, the government, you know, controls the, the dogs and what happens after they're done. Yeah, and law enforcement's the same way. That no, no one in law enforcement is freezing sperm or breeding. They just don't care. Unfortunately, They're, or or at least we're not talking about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> correct. That's it's a secret if anyone's doing it. Yeah. So um, moving forward, you know, you're doing the Master at Arms program, and you're handling handle three dogs. Uh, it's hot as shit in Bahrain, and you get approached to take on another project. Yeah, well, yeah. So, uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, I um, I got I got PCS or transferred um, to uh, Kingsville, Texas, to, just to go finish out my time. Um, and I had about a year left in the Navy when I reported down there. And so I was, like, ready to get out, you know, because I was, I was bored. I mean, what I did in Bahrain was cool, but it, it was boring. And um, I wasn't deploying to Iraq or Afghanistan. And uh, I chose Bahrain because that was, like, the closest I could get to, to Iraq, you know. And I assumed, I thought, <laughs> that, you know, uh, once I became a dog handler, like, hey, maybe they, you know, might be have, you know, a uh, deployment or something up there. But, no, it was like, it was to um, Dubai. Don't get me wrong, Dubai is awesome. But at the time, it was like I, I would choose, you know, going, you know, going to Iraq or Afghanistan and, you know, going and sitting in Dubai. But um, so I, I went to Kingsville, Texas, and um, I had a, a really good friend of mine call me up and he was already uh, uh, with this uh, unit and I didn't know anything about it. Um, I just, uh, you know, I, I was, again, I was young. I was, you know, 21, 22, didn't know anything about it. And he's like, Hey, they're, you know, they're looking for, um, you know, squared away guys that are in shape. And, um, and, you know, he thought of me and a couple other people referred, referred me to them. And, so I said, sure, you know, I'll come give it a try. He said, it'll be, it'll be absolutely worth it. Again, um, he didn't tell me which unit or anything like that. Just said I'd be handling some of the best dogs that um, you could possibly get your hands on. And so I, I went and tested and um, passed their, all their screening and, and all that and got accepted. And so then I, I reported up to, up to uh, that unit. And at the time, did you did you know which one it was, or did they were they like? No, yeah. I mean they said uh, you know I was told you know it was uh, one of the SEAL teams, and um, again anybody listening, I, I wasn't a SEAL, I was a Master at Arms, and so I was I was pretty um, uh, I don't know, what's the word for it. I was just very uh, shocked that you know that they were you know looking for you know just I, I just say regular guys like me. Um, to come and, and do that, but 
again, you know, they're focused on, you know, being Navy SEALs and they wanted us to focus on being dog handlers. So, right. Yeah. Um, it's pretty important to mention right here. You're a chief petty officer, master at arms. You didn't go through buds. You're not a seal. You're not saying you're a seal, <laughs> any of that. And it's right. not it's not uncommon for units either in the Navy or in the or in the Marines or in the Army to take on highly specialized and highly trained and highly specialized people like canine handlers or medics or intelligence guys or uh, explosive ordnance guys or anything else for mission specific capabilities. Correct? Yeah, no, yeah. we're just you know support guys, you know, exactly. and um, and. Uh, and I was I was happy to I was happy to be one. I mean, um, so yeah, I, I found out you know which SEAL team it was, and uh, you know after I'd gotten there, and um, again growing up, I didn't really you know I didn't read too much about SEAL teams. So um, you know once I kind of found out which one it was, I was like oh awesome, like oh my god, like you know it's pretty <laughs> so sweet. How, and, uh, how old were you when this happened? 20, I was like 21, 22, you know, so, and so a lot of these guys, I mean, the guys over there, are, you know, they've been in the Navy a while, um, and so they're a lot older than me, you know, late late 20s, 30s, you know, 40s. Um, so it was me, you know, this, you know, young young dude walking in, you know, so it was kind of intimidating. It wasn't kind of, I mean, it was intimidating. You know, I was uh, like 140 pounds soaking wet and uh you know i was like five ten. you know these dudes are like six foot and i mean not all not all of them are but you know some of these dudes are pretty big guys and um so i uh i went there and um you know went through the training course i won't go go into in depth like what that was just you know for right. opsec reasons and um but you know they taught me basically how to you know navigate a radio and um navigate land and uh, you know, CQB, how to not kill myself and kill other people, which was most important because <laughs> yeah. up to this point, I had zero CQB training. I mean, we had, you know, your typical Navy firearms training, like, you know, go stand on a line and shoot it, you know, shoot down and shoot down at a, a target. Um, but never like moving and, you know, moving and shooting, clearing, you know, clearing rooms and, and all of that. So, um, had to go through that and, uh, that was taught by um, a, a couple, you know, retired SEALs and active duty SEALs. And, um, you know, one of the guys, uh, he was a SEAL. He was actually killed on uh, Extortion 1-7. Um, he was my, you know, cadre at the time. And, and he told me, he's like, you know, we're going to hold it to you guys, to the dog handlers a little bit harder than we would everybody else um, just because we were, you know, going directly up to the door with these guys and, Right. You know, other than EOD, there's nobody else, you know, going and hit, hitting the, you know, you know, number two or number three guy. Um, and it was a pretty, I mean, being a dog handler is a pretty important role because you're getting called to, you know, go chase after um, uh, squirters, um, you know, movers that are moving away from the target or maneuvering on you. Um, it seemed like anything we we did you know a dog was always involved um so you, you felt pretty important and you felt like you know you didn't want to let anybody down the um 
the SEAL community is well known for being really tight and, you know, guys really having to prove themselves. So when you're, when you're stateside, excuse me, <clears throat> doing the training, what's it like after work? Are they still kind of feeling you out, see what, what you're going to be like, or is it just kind of jumping you in right away? Um, no, I mean, they, uh, you know, I, I think for the most part, like, uh, you know, after work, I really didn't, I mean, I, I didn't really go and, and hang out. Um, when, when we'd go on, you know, training trips and whatnot, uh, I would hang out with them afterwards, you know, cause that's how you, I mean, again, that's how you get to really know somebody's personality and, um, just, you know, showing you're part of the team and, uh, you know, just going out to dinner and stuff like that. But I think, uh, before that even happens, you know, you have to prove yourself, uh, in training and then of course on deployment eventually. And so for me, focusing on making sure that my dog was, um, the best or, you know, damn good. Uh, that was like my number one priority. And then also because, you know, Digo, when I got him, it's like you heard in probably another podcast, but when, when I got him, he, he was not perfect. I mean, he was a dog that came from another, another um part of that unit and uh you know he had a couple a couple problems biting uh biting good guys and uh and it was just due to excitement and you know him not you know having obedience and so for me it was just really getting him under control and making sure that you know he was the best i could get him and uh it's just like you know we talk about jeff franklin jeff franklin was you know one of my first trainers and helped me out with with uh, Digo a great deal, and, and so... Uh, yeah, and I so heard stories I, so about I, that dog, not from you, but, you know, when you had that dog and he came back, people were like, holy fuck, that's the same dog that was over in the other <laughs> the other side, and they're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, I... He, um, had, he had a reputation. He did. I mean, he, I mean, he was a hell of a biter, and, I mean, he, he could he could find a bad bad dude pretty quick, but... You know, you get one, you get one mishap or, you know, whatever, and that, that'll lose a lot of confidence among people, especially those guys, you know, and it's like, you know, it's like almost, it's like, if it doesn't work, you know, shit can it. Um, but with dogs, it's like we talked about, you know, finding good dogs is not that easy. So, you know, while he might've had a couple, you know, issues, he was still a very good dog. And I think you know, the trainers there realized it, um, the kennel knew it. And so just shifting him from another, uh, you know, from one, one plate, one squadron to another, um, definitely, you know, definitely helped us out. And I'm sure if they would, would have needed to, they would have changed his name to something else. But, um, yeah, he was, he was pretty intense dog. So when you're going through the training with those guys, um, you're going from, you know, the, the fleet Navy, with very limited uh, weapons uh, training, I'm sure they that changed obviously, and they gave yeah. you a bunch of different things to learn and things. Did you zero in on one one weapon in particular or one platform that was your favorite? Nope, I just took whatever they gave me. I mean, uh, it was just your M4. Um, they were all carrying. Uh, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were all you know you know transitioning to H and Ks and all that, and um, you know. I already had a hard enough time, like, you know, having to carry a dog over everything. I was just like, hey, I'll just, you know, stick with an M4. And uh, eventually I, I would transition to, like, an MP7. 
um, a couple of deployments later, just because, you know, an M4 with a suppressor on it, it's like, you know, banging your dog in the head and, you know, an MP7 is just, you know, it's tiny, you know, and, uh, and there was enough, enough dudes with, you know, bigger guns. I mean, I just felt like, you know, that's what I needed. And yeah, yeah well, it really wasn't your job though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, not, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if yeah. I, no, yeah, 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 no, I didn't. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That wasn't my job. My job was to focus on the dog and, um, uh, it's funny, like I, I talked to a couple of the guys, you know, now, you know, years later and, and they're like, we, I, you know, one of them was like, I can imagine half having to like sling my gun and, you know, reach down to this dog and pretty much give up, you know, pretty much giving up your gun to, you know, get this dog, you know, moving in the direction it needs to go. And, you know, for me, that's where I was like, you know, I, I trust the guys around me. I mean, these, again, right, right, like, right. the best of the best. Like, I mean, even, even then, you know, you have your bad days, but you know, you, you just, you trust them and, you know, you watch them in training. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing and pretty impressive. Um, you know, if any of them are, are listening to it right now, I hope I don't, you know, over talk it, but I, you know, it's, it's pretty impressive to watch how it all runs smoothly. And, and, you know, with that said, you know, I get inserted into this smooth running machine and, you know, my first couple times running with these guys in training did not look, did not look, look, look like the movies. I mean, I, I did my, <laughs> uh, my share of fuck ups and, you know, not being in the right place at the right time or, you know, not knowing exactly where I was supposed to be, but again, it's training. Um, right. And I feel like everybody's going a lot fast. And they told me everybody's going a lot faster in training because it's, it's training, right? There's no like, there's no bad guy on the other end of the, at the end, end of the door. And so when you actually went on deployment, um, when you actually went on deployment, everybody slows down. And so, um, you know, for me, I mean, deployment was so much easier than training. I, it just it felt like everything went smoother on yeah, that's, deployment. That's one of the things that we talk about a lot. With I do a lot of the high risk deployment seminars, and we do a lot of sweat integration stuff. And you know, over the normal and Eric will tell you this too. I mean, handle the dog on a SWAT team. I mean, as a handler on a SWAT team, your job, and which is effectively what you guys were, although a little more advanced, you know. But your job is to handle the dog. And, you know, when our normal police dog guys, our normal canine handlers, just normal patrol guys, you know, their job is, you know, if they have backing officers, they're, they're running everything. They're telling people where to be. They're telling people what to do. Go here, do this, do that. Right. The dog's alerting, this, that, and the other. And in a team integration situation like you're in, you are there to – you're running the dog. Like you've got, you know, between four and six or eight other dudes there that have other jobs and your job's dog. So, right. you know, and, you know, that's a – it's just still, like I was saying, you know, 20 minutes ago, it's a very important skill set, which is why they sought you out and you passed all the selection process and everything else, which brought you to being selected for that unit, and which means you were probably pretty good with a leash. <laughs> Yeah, and well, my wife was like, you know, you you really don't um, put yourself out there enough, and I'm like, well, I've always learned to kind of just stay humble, and she's like, you know, well, people, you know, realize that when they talk to you, so it's it's kind of okay to you know tell them what you did and you know that you're actually good at it, and I was like, yeah, no, we'll see, but yeah, no, I mean, I was, I, I mean, I I thought I I did I did good. <laughs> Again, I don't know how, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> Uh, you like, don't get, you with don't the get, speed you, at which 
Yeah, go ahead. With the speed at which they're doing their training and you're going from zero experience, is it hard to keep that self-doubt from creeping in there? Yeah, I mean, especially when you're messing up. I mean, there were times, I mean, even my team leader, my team leader, when he went on, when we were on deployment, he was like, I was real nervous about having you come on deployment, you know, because I just, again, you know, like I would do really well and then I'd have a couple mess ups, you know, and it wasn't the dog biting anybody. It was just me not being in the right place or I'd be in the way. Um, so I learned really quick how to get the dog in there and get the hell out of the way. And so the guys could do their job. Um, and then once I got comfortable enough, you know, I'd eventually, you know, let the dog go and then let them go in and then follow in, you know, sooner and sooner, you know, after I left, let the dog go. Um, but also I didn't have the confidence either, I think. And so, you know, my later deployments where I would, you know, just step up and said, Hey, we're, let's send the dog in. Um, I couldn't do that. My first deployment, you know, again, you know, my, one of my last deployments, you know, I was like I was fucking throwing the dog everywhere I could. Um, just trying to, <laughs> you know, try, I, I learned the value of those dogs really quick. You know, after, um, we had a couple guys get killed, um, our first deployment and then, you know, me getting blown up and, um, I learned the value of them and um, a lot of people think it's kind of, you know, screwed up, you know, but I would rather the dog go in um, and, you know, end up taking a bullet than, than one of the guys, uh, you know, and, and with that said, like, you know, I was smart about what I did. You know, I didn't, if there was a barricaded shooter, I mean, no way would I send a dog in, you know, it, again, the dog's not going to be able to stop bullets. So there's no point in that scenario doing that. And so, you know, I don't know, man. I just I got aggressive, and um, eventually, it just it all kind of just started coming together. That's great. They, <clears throat> as you get more deployments under you, um, they're they're starting to. It's just you're there. It's accepted. Um, are there new guys coming in there, dog guys that you're kind of mentoring? Uh, yeah. So, well, I mean, yeah, I mean. I, uh, after my first deployment, I mean, my first deployment was cut short because uh, we had that houseborn IED, uh, you know, sent me back a little bit. But, uh, you know, the new guy that, that, that stepped in my spot, uh, John, John Duandara, who, you know, he was killed in Extortion 1 7. Um, but, um, he stepped in and, you know, I just, I told him, you know, all I, all I could give him to make his transition easier. Um, but, uh, you know, our, we had a, a, a SEAL team leader at the time and, uh, you know, he, he definitely, he definitely wanted to keep, you know, he wanted to make it hard on us. So, you know, we would obviously learn, obviously learn more. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, you mentor these new guys coming in and, and, and hope they get it and, uh, you know, try to not make the same mistakes you did. All right, uh, we're going to take a second because um, we've got to pay the bills. Um, we're going to let you hear from some of our sponsors. We've got to keep in mind here, guys, we don't get paid or our guests don't get paid. So uh, we got equipment, we got bills to pay, so we're going to take a second and hear from our sponsors. Let me hop in here and talk about our one of our sponsors for the podcast, Southern Coast Canine, based out in New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine has been providing better training, better results, and better dogs for over 25 years. 
led by Bill Heiser and known for their excellent high drive dual purpose and detection dogs and outstanding customer service. They have what you want and what you are looking for. Call 1-877-903-DOGS. That's 877-903-3647 and speak with Bill and to discuss your canine needs today. Or visit southerncoastcanine.com. That's the letter K, the number nine. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Southern Coast Canine, the letter K, the number nine. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit that would make Jacob Davis happy. Who's <laughs> going to Google that to get the joke. Arno uses top quality materials and handmakes each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at alnk9equipment.com. That's the letter K, the number 9, or Arno, A-R-N-O, at almsuits.com. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. Tripwire Operations Group. We're first responders dedicated to first responders. We believe the most highly trained create a safer America. We prepare military and first responders to protect our country by providing products, training, services, and relationships that together no one else provides. Tripwire provides virtually every type of explosive product currently manufactured. We also produce our very own binary explosive, TexPack. Tripwire provides military and law enforcement training, consulting, canine advanced training, and firearm sales and training. Folks, Ryan and the boys over at Tripwire are true badasses in the industry. Go check them out at www.tripwireops.org. That's tripwireops.org. All right, we're back uh, with Benito. He is, um, at this point, has uh, been deployed once uh, with his dog, Digo, and uh, he's got some stories about that deployment. We'll, we'll go over what he can. And, uh, again, reminding everybody, um, you know, we do we do all this for free, including our guests. So we're uh, not definitely not uh, paying for secret information here. Um but uh, this is some pretty good stuff. So it's it's a pretty not famous story, but known in the in the community that you and your dog ended up getting blown up. Basically, you want to uh, talk about what you can? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, again, just you know, touching on you know what you said about not being paid. I I think you know for me, it's it's sharing the knowledge. It's uh, you know if there's for me anyways, that's it's sharing knowledge. Um, especially to, you know, young people out there that are maybe thinking about, you know, coming in the military or even, you know, canine handlers out there that are, you know, are teaming up with their, you know, uh, SWAT teams or, you know, whatever, whatever they're called, you know, these days. But, um, for me, definitely sharing about knowledge. So, um, we're already talking about Digo, right? So yeah, yeah, getting blown up. Um, 
Don't recommend it. It's it's, uh, it's definitely <laughs> definitely uh, it definitely hurt. Um, yeah, we uh, you know I I know somebody's probably listening to the story has already heard the story, but again I'll tell it. Um, you know we we were gonna go out um, one night in in Iraq and uh, and we were gonna take these vehicles out. And so they can only take so many people in the vehicles. And um, up until this point, Digo had, you know, he had he had fucking rocked it. I mean, he, everybody loved that dog because he would just go in and just tear people up. I mean, you would know if somebody's, you know, playing possum. Like, I mean, he, he did not care if he, you know, dead or alive or whatever. Like he was yeah, just, yeah, you two had earned your spot. He was a fucking man dog for sure. Yeah, and I, you know, I couldn't, I, you know, you know, everybody's, you know, talking about the team, and I'm like, you know, the dog pretty much, you know, is doing what he's supposed to do, carrying me through this. So, um, they decided to roll with him because he was the more experienced dog. We had another dog on that, on that, you know, same deployment that was um, a brand new dog. So for us, it was just, uh, for them, it was just taking the more experienced dog and, um. And so we went out, and uh, we were walking through uh, uh, Bakabai, Iraq, which is, you know, notorious for bad people. I know Iraq in general, but this town was just bad. Can we say it's and, a shithole? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's shithole, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. can I get in trouble for that? It's just shithole. <laughs> Fuck, I No, I mean, know. it's like, you know, it's, again, I mean, it, you know, actually, it was, it was a town, so it wasn't too bad, but it was still, you know, it's like, you know, you got all these, you know, stray dogs running around. And so, you know, for me, I'm carrying these bottles that have, you know, uh, leftover food, meat inside of it. And I was like hot dogs and whatever else I could put in them. Cause these dogs would come over and fuck with your dog and Digo, he didn't really care. Like he wasn't dog reactive. And furthermore, you know, I think going on these, these ops, like the Digo knew what was going to come. And so biting somebody or, you know, getting amped up for that was, you know, more than, you know, trying to go after another dog. And so we get to, we get to this building and, um, you know, we get all these people out and these, these, you know, women and guy came out with their AKs. And so they get shot in the doorway and, um, you know, they, 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 they tell the girl to go back in and open up all the windows and, and, uh, curtains and all that. And, so uh, they tell, they tell, they ask me to have him bark a little bit, you know, just so that way the people inside know that we have a dog. Um, because it's amazing what people will do if they hear a dog, but like what they won't do if they know like a bunch of dudes have guns out there, like that are going to come in and, you know, and, and kill them. Like, it's like a dog is so much worse. And that's so, a, that's a, um, that's a parallel that goes with law enforcement because people think that they can rationalize with a human being, even if there's a language barrier, but they know, they know that if you fuck around with a dog, you're going to get bit. There's no rationalizing with a the dog. They know right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, we, I get them to bark and of course they're not coming out. And, um, we already had killed a couple of people in the doorway. um, and so I'm always thinking like, now I'm like into my, you know, I'm into, I don't know how many ops we did, but I, I'm, I'm in a ways and, uh, I'm thinking, okay, where can I stick this dog? Cause I know Digo is going to go and bite the dead people. Cause he he just does. Um, and then, you know, furthermore, like, 
you know, the guy who are woman or whoever's in there knows that we're going to come through the front doorway. So I saw this, this big bay window and I go kneel down in front of it because, you know, right before we send the dog in, they were going to put a grenade in, into the, put a frag into one of the rooms right through the front doorway. And for me, I didn't know, you know, where that stuff spreads to. So I didn't want to have my face sitting in this big bay window. I mean, I think that's like the first thing, one of the first things I learned is to, you know, get your head down when, you know, when you throw a, roll a grenade inside of a room. And so um, I uh, wait for this grenade to go off. And then I look up right after it goes off. And then, like, I get blasted with this, like, it's like, uh, I don't know, like this wave of, whatever it is i mean it basically the building had detonated and i for like a split second you know tenth of a second or whatever it was i felt this you know rush of air and everything coming at you and then um everything kind of goes dark and i wake up i'm not really sure how long i mean i guess maybe it was like a half minute a minute or something like that and like at this point i think i'm buried you know i've been buried alive um I think that's one of my worst fears is, you know, you know, if anything could ever happen to me is be buried alive. So I, I automatically thought somebody had, you know, put me in my grave. And then I uh, realized that, you know, I'm not in my grave, and I, but I can't see anything. And uh, I'm looking for my dog, and I can't move, and so that's freaking me out. And then all I hear is hear these voices. Um, no, not, not voices in my head. Like, I hear actual voices. And so uh, they um, I, I they pull this big rock off of me, and I could see um, one of the guys, and he was asking me if I was all right. And I was like, oh, that's a fucking dumb question. But, yeah, I'm alive. Um, and uh, I was like, where's my dog? And, and they're sitting there trying to uncover me, and uh, I can't find the dog. And um, Digo had gotten blown like 15, 20 feet, something like that away. And uh, snapped this this leash I had. We had a, a leash, you know, always tethered to us. Um, it was uh, it was like a canine storm, you know, three foot, you know, lead uh, connected mm-hmm. to my belt. And so he got chucked over there, and he had a big ass brick in his mouth, and he's like trying to bite everybody. And uh, they're like, "Hey, do you have a do you have a muzzle?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I actually have one in my left hip pocket." And so they uncovered the rest of me, and then I was like, "Holy shit!" Like. My legs are really not going the way they should, and I don't know if this is good or bad, but it's you know definitely definitely not good. And at this point, I can't really feel anything because you know your endorphins and you know everything just kicks in, you know whatever they're called. And um, so I reach with my right, my left hand, um, and try to reach into my left hand pocket and pull this muzzle out, but my left wrist was dangling sideways. Um, my left wrist had been broken, Boy. and that's when I realized that that's when I realized it was broken. So I reached over with my my right hand and I uh, pulled this mesh muzzle out of my pocket. Always carried one because you know I, I always you know in case I ever got shot or something like that, people would be able to you know pull that pull that out and you know muzzle the dog in case they're having issues. Because Digo, like man, putting him on a helicopter, like sometimes like he'd just be so wound up that you know he you know, let you know that he's there. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, no, I hate to reach out and just touch you. Like, yeah. Um, so, you know, I pull his muzzle out, I muzzle the dog up and everything, you know, I thought was good. 
um, they go to lift me up. Two two guys were going to drag me out of there and, uh, you know, get me loaded up. And and then that's when I realized my legs were broken because I could feel all the bones in my body, just all the bones in my legs just, like, crumble almost. And, um, mm. yeah, it was both, both femurs were shattered, and I had my wrist and... Um, one of the doctors later on told me, he's like, you're, he's like, you're absolutely so lucky to not sever one of your arteries or he's like, so many things could have happened. And he's like, none of those happened. And he's like, you know, whatever. So, um, they ended up just laying me down there. They got Digo out of there. And then our uh, EOD guy, um, Louis Safrant, um, he was still stuck underneath the carport and, um, they finally got him out and uh put him in one of the strikers and uh meanwhile they're like trying to figure out what to do with me so they ended up getting four guys and um and uh you know i screamed like a bitch i mean i'm not gonna lie like i was you know i i yeah i mean i probably screamed so bad i mean because they picked me up by both knees and uh and my you know by both you know four dudes I had both both legs, and then I had a guy, you know, the guy on each side of my uh, shoulders, and uh, they laid me on uh, on top of uh, uh, Louis in the uh, in the striker, and you know, at that point, I already, I, you know, I found out he was, you know, he's gone, and um, so they drove us off to um, the Kazakh location where they're going to fly these helicopters in to try to, you know, help out Louis, and. Um, I kept on blacking out the whole time and um, not sure where Digo is at this point, but they loaded us all up on the helicopter and I blacked out some more. And then I remember coming to, as we're getting rolled into this, I think it was a tent hospital or something like that. And so uh, they laid me down on this, this little bed thing and, you know, like, Hey, have you had your leg strained yet? And I was like, no, I don't know what that is. And they had these guys come lay on top of me oh, and this doctor oh, like took both, both legs and like, <laughs> yeah. So, um, straightened both legs so they could put me in a CT machine or MRI machine or, you know, whatever. And remember having a, a guy pray over me while they put some gas on and I, I woke up with an erector set on my legs. So, um, you know, before that happened, though, I mean, you could hear Digo like flipping out, and he had a crushed nasal cavity and a fractured pelvis. And so, uh, you know, he, he felt I felt I felt bad for him just because he didn't know what the hell was going on, you know. And uh, and so, yeah, you know, you just you know, you feel bad for the dog, and there's nothing he can do about it. And um, but yeah, that's kind of what happened that night. Man, so you come back. Obviously, you and you go through rehabilitation and everything else, and you decide to go back. Yeah, I mean, I um, um, again, like when I was going through rehab, I had these doctors like tell me that like, I was going to get medically retired out of the Navy, which I would, you know, like four years later, um, and that you know I would never deploy again and all this other stuff. And then meanwhile, Digo gets partnered up with a new handler. And so I'm like, well, fuck me, you know, like, (laughs) but it was cool. You know, I was just like, you know, you, uh, you know, you have to have self-determination because, um, you know, you're getting it from some people, you know, like your family, like they're supporting you. And, um, but even, 
even one of my buddies, um, you know, he is a SEAL, and he's like, you know, I and I've said this before, and I like saying it because, you know, for me it makes me, you know, feel like I, you know, accomplished something, you know, that was pretty hard. And, you know, he said he wouldn't expect it from his own to come back from that, you know, another SEAL. But, you know, for me, you know, just some master at arms, you know, guy that – so for me, that, that meant a lot, you know, for me to come back and, you know, he thought that was, you know, pretty amazing. And, um, yeah, so I came back, at, you know, after people doubt me and, uh, the guy who the seal that I was talking about in the course that they taught me now, when I first got there, you know, he came up to me shortly after this all happened and I was like, you come in, he's like, what's your plans? And it's like coming back. He's like, really? He's like, I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right. He's like, I'm gonna hold you to it then. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I, uh, nine months later after shattering both femurs, um, I convinced, uh, I convinced my, uh, you know, the kennel to let me go back and bring another dog over and Digo was having some issues and they wanted me to bring this other dog over to hand over to the handler. And I was like, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a, uh, not going to be a, a courier. Like, let me, let me handle this dog and. So once I got them to entertain the idea of let me jump back in with my guys, um, I went over to the surgeon. You know, the surgeon. I was like, "Hey, can you can you clear me? Like, I'm good." Um, you know, and so uh, he cleared me. And I don't think, you know, thinking back at the time, maybe not a smart idea. I mean, I still was having some, just some just minor issues, um, but I was like hell bent on getting back out there. Awesome. So I, I, the 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 breaking two femurs part is just it's insane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you went back over, you handled the dog, but you're also sort of helping uh, the new guy. Well, not the new guys, but the new handlers coming over, and you were running a little bit of the program on the the countryside over there, correct? Um, I mean, not, uh, not really. I mean, uh, the, the MA that, that came in to relieve me, he was over there with his dog. And, um, the guy who had Digo was the, uh, you know, was, uh, another seal that had come over. Um, and so he was having issues with him. And so I wanted to take this dog and maybe go do a few missions. Um, my first couple ones back, like I was like really leery of, you know, walking up to buildings, you know, it's like one of those things. Um, it's, it's like, you know, training dogs. Like I tell people, you know, when you're using an e-collar, if you don't want the dog to dig in the trash, you know, you, sometimes you have to use higher levels of extinction corrections. And, um, if you don't want somebody to come back into a building, you blow it up. And, uh, and, you know, so for me, like, I was like very leery of, it was like, you know, like, it, like these dogs that test you, it's like, do I do that? Oh, fuck it. Let me just do this and see what happens. And so after the first couple times of, you know, getting a couple wins, um, I got, you know, more confident and just kept on going at it. Um, yeah. So I, uh, you know, would watch, I'd climb on the rooftops with this dog and, um, with our, our, uh, sniper guys. And I'd watch the other dog team work, Digo and his handler and just kind of see where, um, he needed work. And, and, and I give him feedback at the end, and um, we we got Digo kind of back on track. And again, I think you know Digo, some of it might have been they talk about PTSD, but you now I don't think I don't ever think he was the same dog. I mean, he, he was still a little prick, but 
you know, he, I think uh, <laughs> some of that, I think, I think, honestly, I think some of it was taken out of him. You know, again, I, I don't know how much, but um, I think some of it was taken out. One of the biggest issues that I find when I'm training a uh, handler for his second dog or second or third is previous dog comparison. Is that something you had to struggle with, with the dog you're deployed with them the second time? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, um, God, how do I say this? Like, um, I, I just, I knew that, you know, that, you know, it was for the, for the better of the mission, you know? So I kind of, I shelved any feelings I had, you know, for that, that even Digo being through all that. Um, and I kind of just like this new dog wasn't even my dog. It was another squadron's dog. And, um, they lent them to us, you know? So it was like, um, I was like, I just needed them for this time. And then, you know, I was going to get a, a, a brand new dog when I got back. And, um, so no, I mean, I never really, never really had that. Um, I just, you know, again, I just kind of thought, you know, Hey, this is for the better of the mission and, and we'll go, go from there. Now, um, like Brando, my last dog, I did compare him a lot to Digo cause they were two different dogs. Like, you know, Brando could turn it on and turn it off and be, you know, complete pet and Digo just could never turn the damn thing off. And so for me, sometimes I was a little bit more relieved. I didn't have a dog like Digo cause I never had to, sorry, sorry, my door's going off. Um, I never had to worry about, uh, that happening. What now there's people listening to this and don't know that they have seen pictures of you and Digo at places where, where, where would they have seen those? What do you mean? There's, uh, in some books and things, I believe people have, there's pictures of you and your dog. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's some pictures, um, Hmm. I'm like, you're talking about all over the internet or <laughs> yeah. Um, have people use your pictures in their books and things? Uh, I have no, I have no clue. <laughs> That's a great question. No, I mean, I've seen my, I've seen our pictures on the internet, but that was just due to my, to my doing of, uh, you know, putting them yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, talk about your third dog again, real quick. How, how'd this come about? Um, so Brando, <clears throat> Brando wasn't my third dog. He was, let's see here, I had Digo, Tigo, Rex, and then eventually I had Brando. Um, Brando, uh, was the fourth. And, uh, I had some other dogs in between there that, you know, were, you know, didn't work out or did work out. And, and I just kind of passed, passed on and, and took a new dog. But, um, Brando was was my fourth dog and I was actually his first handler and took him on deployment. And, um, you know, he's again, the complete opposite of Digo, just, you know, very happy. Um, but also could, you know, could bite and, and definitely could turn it on. He was, uh, uh, Malamont. No, he was a Dutch shepherd. Um, so one of the pictures you might see him is we're sitting on the side of this mountain. Um, and he's just this big Dutch shepherd. Yeah, I know the and, picture uh, you're talking about. He's huge. Yeah, no, he's like a little horse. I mean, I, I would hook I would hook up to his vest when we were climbing up these big ass mountains and I'd be like, Come on, buddy, just 
and he would just pull you right on up, you know, and, uh, and I mean, I'm telling you, like some of these mountains you were climbing were just, you know, just some of these humps were crazy. And, uh, but, but I don't know, you know, you're having to lift up this, you know, hundred pound dog over these walls. And, um, I remember one mission we went on, um, it took us like seven hours to get to our, our target. And I, I shit you not like the first, the, the way up onto this mountain and then back down, like the way up was just all vertical. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, being a, a support guy and you don't want to be the guy that like falls out on an op. And when I mean by falling out, you know, you can't do it anymore. And so I, uh, you know, I just, just kept on pushing to, you know, get up over this mountain, but yeah, it's definitely not fun when you have a, you know, have a hundred pound dog. Right. Yeah. There's definitely something to be said about the smaller ones. Yeah, I mean, again, the size, you know, uh, everybody thinks bigger is better, but, you know, Diego was 65 pounds, 60 pounds. Um, he wasn't a very big dog, but, man, he could, you know, he could pack a punch, so. Yeah, yeah everybody uh, says that says that they have to do, like, a mile long or, how, or, like, however long you guys had to do track or whatever you're getting into your target or in our side of it. They have to do, you know, a two mile track and it's a hundred degree heat and they got to throw his fat ass over a fence or lift his fat ass into an attic. And they're like, Oh yeah, I want a 110 pound dog. I'm like, Oh, lift him over this fence and tell me if again. And they're like, Oh, you got anything smaller? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I've talked to a lot of handlers, um, in special operations, um, all the way up through tier one. I, I haven't talked to too many that have handled, that handled as many dogs as you did then, uh, through deployments. So so at this point, you're in this for a while. You are definitely, I would you you have to consider yourself a subject matter expert. When you get out of the Navy, where where are we going? Um. So when I got out of the Navy, I I, I wanted to do stuff with working dogs. Um. But then quickly when I got out, I realized I was like I did not want to be in this world. Um. You know, people are just. You know, you have your good people and your bad people. I guess you have that everywhere. And, um, you know, for me, I, I just, uh, it took me a second to kind of find myself and, and see what I really wanted to do. And, um, you know, that's where I, you know, determined like, Hey, I still want to work with dogs, but you know, I'm going to go and see if I can, you know, translate some of the skills I learned, uh, with, you know, with those guys into just training pets, you know, solving problems like that. And I know it's not, you know, you know, uh, Gucci, like, you know, doing bite dogs and detection. And I, I do miss that stuff because I, you know, that's the stuff I did for, you know, 10 years or, you know, 11 years. Um, but, uh, I decided, you know, just, you know, start my own business, just training pet dogs and see where that went. And I actually didn't even start a business right away. I just, you know, I had somebody come up to me and say, Hey, I heard you were a dog trainer or handler in the military. Can you help me? And I saw that people were willing to pay, um, decent money to, to teach a dog to not piss on their carpet anymore. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where it took me, you know, again, just, you know, going back to, like I said, I mean, it seems like there's, there's a lot of, you know, these companies that are starting up where, you know, it's tactical, this tactical, that, and, um, you know, it, it just sucks. Cause like, I do have knowledge in my head and while, you know, the United States isn't Afghanistan or Iraq, um, I'm a firm believer in a lot of these, these police officers, they can find themselves at any one point in time, like in a very bad spot. 
And a lot of the tactics and stuff that we use definitely is useful. I mean, definitely could be used. Um, you know, so I'm always happy to happy to share that that knowledge with them and and then yeah. just try to give back. We, you know, Ted and I both get we talk to a lot of people that um, are getting into pet dog training that want to do, um, you know, police dogs or military, you know, maybe be a military dog vendor or supply dogs and things. And I try to tell them and they're like, I just really don't want to do the pet dog stuff. And I try to tell them, uh, you talk to a lot of trainers and the money is in the pets. Um, right. are say just as a round number, there's a thousand police dogs in the country. There's a million pet dogs and there's, oh, yeah. there's way more, it's way more crowded with the police dog trainers than it is the pet dog trainers and the money is in the pet side. So I tell folks, don't, don't push that aside. Um, because that is, that will pay the bills. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, it, you know, somebody's willing to offer you, you know, willing to pay, you know, 2,300 bucks for, you know, three weeks of training or whatever. I mean, that's going to, I mean, why would you not want to, why would you not want to do that? But I think also too, I mean, um, I guess I wouldn't say that, but I, I think also too, you have to watch, you know, your audience is different. And so, you know, now you're dealing with people's, you know, they call them fur babies or, or whatever. And, and, and I'm totally fine with that. Like, you know, some people don't have kids and they treat their, their pets, you know, you know, like they're, they're kids. And, um, so yeah, why would you not want to, you know, jump on that and, and furthermore, like, you know, if you're a trainer in the pet industry or even in the working dog industry, why would you, you know, not want to, you know, reach out to other trainers in that same industry? I mean, cause there's so many, there's so much work to go around. Um, you know, even here in San Antonio, I've tried reaching out to several trainers and, you know, I get, I got shunned by a couple, couple kennels and, uh, I was like, Roger that I'm going to move on to the next one. And luckily I've partnered with, I've partnered with a couple a couple of really good trainers, you know, that, um, they do something a little bit different that, that I don't do, which and I'm happy to pass on business to them. Yeah. So where's I home mean, base uh, now? What's that? Where's your home base now? I'm in San Antonio. So well, I'm right outside of San Antonio, Bulverde. So about 15 minutes North. So just, uh, yeah, right in San Antonio. Yeah. You guys got a new rad facility too, right? Yeah, we, um, so I was doing this out of my, uh, we built a, a place on our, our property and then I quickly outgrew that. And then we, we ended up building this or well, I didn't build it, but the landlord, I lease it from, um, you know, I was like, Hey, if I'm really going to do this, like I need to go all out. And, and, uh, so now we, you know, I do the boarding and doggy daycare and, um, and the training's still a huge part of it. Um, again, that's what keeps the lights on and pays the bills. Um, everything else is just, you know, extra on top. But yeah, we built you know, kind of my, my dream facility for what I could, you know, fit in this place. Um, you know, and, uh, I went after like the best kennels, you know, Mason company makes, you know, some of the best kennels and, um, try to offer clients, you know, a higher end, uh, product. Yeah. Now the new company or your company, not new, but the company is called Patriot Dog Training. Where do we, where do they find you on? uh on web internet instagram facebook all that kind of stuff um so you can find me on in, in, you can find me anywhere <laughs> type in patriot dog training but um <laughs> you know internet www.patriotdogtraining.com um at patriot dog training for uh you know instagram and then 
and then that'll lead you over to my Facebook, um, you know, the slash Patriot Dog Training. I think everything's at or slash Patriot Dog Training. Excellent. And you're doing all breeds, everything? Yeah, I do. I mean, like, I got a Pomeranian coming in. <laughs> Dude, I can't, I can't a, have a... Oh, my God. We have a lady that lives close to us, and I don't really do pets, but Alicia has a a friend like sort of friend that has one of those things and he's the biggest one of those things oh god he's an (laughs) asshole and the funny thing is he was here and he was so cool to have around like with because i did everything with a clicker with him and i didn't tell the owner this and she's not gonna listen so i don't really care but i taught him to find narcotics because he yeah. was so good with fucking clicker training in the dog. That's awesome. Oh, dude, he is the coolest yeah. little, and the little fucker tries to bite me because we babysit him, like, I don't know, like once a quarter or something, and he kind of hangs out, and he doesn't really do anything but except trying to bite <laughs> me. And, and then, and then you know, I'll bring Odor home from the kennel to let him find drugs. But, no, I mean, she he was full-on, like, he'll go fucking look around the living room, and he'll full-on alert and bark, and then I'll click, and he'll come run to me and get something. But, uh, yeah, he's, yeah, I mean, they're cool little dogs, but I definitely would not own one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But you know, again, it goes back to it. It's like, hey, you're gonna turn away, turn it away, and I'm, you know, definitely am not going to. So, but uh, yeah, no, Palmer, it's crazy. Yeah, all breeds, all sizes. I get. But what's cool is also my military experience. Um, you know, dealing with some of those dogs that are a little aggressive and and uh, and whatnot. Um, I get a lot of people in the area that refer dogs to me that are you know have issues like that you know because i guess they think that i know what the hell i'm doing and uh luckily i i know what the hell i'm doing but um it's yeah it's 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 crazy do you um travel and train at all are you just so busy there that you're just going to be at there and everybody come to you or do you doing any kind of seminars or anything like that no i have no i I, I should do like a seminar. I just, uh, you know, again, I, public speaking is, is definitely, uh, not my thing. You know, talking about dogs and, and whatnot, I can definitely talk about that, but, um, all the dogs get sent here. So I, I get people that, <clears throat> excuse me, ship their dogs, uh, to me. And then, uh, some of them have me fly back out with the dog and then do like a one day, uh, a one day, you know, lesson with them on, on their site. And, um, you know, and I still, to this day, like, you know, go attend other people's, tr- you know, training seminars and and courses. Because, um, again, like, if you ever just stop, you know, learning, like, I, I think that you're, you know, going to set yourself back, especially with dog training. There's just so much out there. And uh, I've learned that a lot in the past couple of years, just seeking out, you know, some of the best, um, you know, in, in the field that you're trying to get into. Yeah, totally, for sure. And that's what I tell people, like, you know, I mean, because there's a lot of people that are, you know, trainers or they go through schools or whatever else. And I tell people all the time, I'm not even, I'm not even that good. I'm not even well-rounded. Like, I'm really good at teaching dogs to find shit and bite assholes. But people are like, oh, can you train my service dog? I'm like, I don't know the first thing about that. I don't know the first thing about service dogs. I don't know the first thing about gun dogs. I don't know any about any of that. And not that I don't care, but, you know, I'm just singularly focused on what we do but you're 100 right like there is a ton uh i mean there's you know we had we just aired the pat nolan episode who's you know yeah. that guy is a ninja when it comes to fucking detection work and then some of his directional stuff is also extremely uh what's the best way to say it 
eye-opening. <laughs> I was yeah. talking about yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah and, so, and he started I mean, with gun dogs. Yeah. So, I mean, you know? And, you know, I mean, I don't know if he knows anything. I didn't ask him, but I, I don't know if he knows anything about bite work. It doesn't seem like he does. But, I mean, there's people all over the country that are really, really good at certain things. And I just kind of stay in what I'm good at. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, right on, Benny. Man, I appreciate it. So once again, we can hit you up at Patriot Canine Training on Facebook, Instagram, the interwebs, uh, LinkedIn. I'm assuming you're on there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, Patriot I'm Dog like, Training, uh, any any one of those, yep. I guess I need to do mine. I'm like the last fucking person that doesn't have a LinkedIn account. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I, I got rid of so, mine and started turning to Facebook. So, like, <laughs> so uh, Benny, I appreciate it, man. Uh, it's been awesome. Um Everybody listening, hit him up at those at that website, Patriot Canine Training. Uh, if you need anything, consulting, whatever you need, Benny's got it. You got anything to add, Benny? No, no, man. Any anytime. You're excellent. We appreciate it, Eric. We'll talk to you soon, man. All right, guys. Thanks, Benny. Yep. yep. Thanks. Bye. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Hey, let's get this finished up here. Southern Coast Canine, the letter K, the number nine dot com. Sponsor for the episode, Southern Coast Canine offers canine handler, instructor, and trainers courses with a variety of seminars throughout the year. Visit them at southerncoastcanine.com, letter K, the number nine. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram for up-to-date courses and event schedules. 877-903-DOGS. That's 877-903-3647 to register and find out more about these excellent courses. Also, Southern Coast Canines has an immediate opening for a full-time multi-purpose canine trainer position, the MPC trainer position. If you want to join a winning team, contact them at the same Number or email your resume to P Heiser H E I S E R at Southern Coast Canine.com. The letter K, the number nine. Working Dog Radio is edited and co produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at bracketdesigns.com for any branding or content related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at Brother Deeg, spelled D E G E dot blogspot.com, spelled D E G E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses.